Hello everyone and welcome to Fintechs. This is where we speak with founders, CEOs, CMOs and other stakeholders in the fintech space discussing everything fintech, including marketing, retention, product, monetization and much more. I'm your host, Nadav Trentamoser. Today we'll discuss monetization strategies for mobile apps. For this, we are joined by Yaya Makhtarzada, founder and chief revenue officer of Truebill. Hi, Yaya. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for uh, joining us. So tell us a little bit about the company. Yeah, Truebill was founded three and a half years ago. We're based in San Francisco. And the aim is simply to give people more control and more visibility into their finances. What does the product actually do? Yeah, Let's so that's... Let's into that a little bit. <laughs> right, so we think of the product in sort of a few different key pieces. So the first piece is really just financial visibility, seeing all your accounts in one place, your balances, as well as your spending and budgeting. So... Where's your money going? Is that in line with where you want it to be going? And just how, how well are you doing or how well are you not doing? Uh, from there, we give you a bunch of controls into where your money goes. So the first way we do that is we give you a dashboard where you can see all of your recurring charges. And you'd be kind of surprised how often people are paying for a subscription or some automated billing thing that they just either forgot about or is not they're not using, but they haven't gotten around to canceling it yet. So... Not only can you see all your subscriptions in one place and see how they add up, but you can, with one click, get rid of anything you don't want. So people frequently say, oh, you know what? I'm paying for Audible even though I haven't listened to an audiobook in six months. Let me get rid of that. And rather than having to wait on hold for 15 minutes, you just click a button in the app and it's gone. The other big thing the app does is it finds ways to put money back in your pocket. So for instance, if let's say tonight you're asleep or tomorrow you're at the office, and your internet goes out for a few minutes. Truebill will actually catch that and at the end of the month, aggregate all those micro outages and reach out to your cable or internet company and get you a credit for that. Or it can look at your phone bill and identify promotions that you're eligible for but not receiving and lower that rate for you. Or even let's say your bank charges you a fee, Truebill will identify that and automatically reach out to the bank on your behalf to get you a credit for that or to get it refunded. Cool. Super interesting. So basically saving a lot of hassle, getting you to know about stuff you didn't know before, helping you to sort of automate the system of canceling stuff or knowing about stuff, essentially. Exactly. So showing you what's going on and then actually doing the dirty work of fixing it for you. Very cool. So if if we go back to, to I mean, how did you come up with the idea? And I do want you to tell us the story about uh, the brothers connection because there's a... There's a big brother group in, involved in this company. Yeah, I, um, I'm fortunate in that I, I come from a big family, so I have three brothers, and two of them are technical. Uh, we've all worked together in the past. And so um, one day I was actually just talking to my younger brother, and this is kind of embarrassing, but I was complaining in that I looked at my credit card statement, which I really never do. Um, I don't know if many people, I'm, I'm in my 30s now, but I think most younger people don't actually look at their statements anymore. But I saw that I'd been charged $40 for in-flight Wi-Fi. And I thought, you know, that's strange. I haven't flown this month. And so I started going back in time, and I realized I was paying $40 a month for 14 months before wow, I caught on. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, really stupid. So um, I mentioned that to my younger brother, and he said, you know, the same thing, something similar had happened to him. And we just sort of looked at each other, and I said, could you build something to, like, just solve this for me, to, like, show me all my recurring subscriptions? And he's like, yeah, you know, I, I think I could do that. And a couple days later, he's like, hey, what's your what's your credit card login? I gave him that. And two days after that, he's like, hey, here's all your subscriptions and here's what I built. And it was basically a, a report that you would put in your banking or credit card passwords and it would give you a readout of your, of your recurring bills. 
And I thought, this is cool. And we, we sent it out to friends and family. And we're pretty shocked at just how many people kind of gave us feedback that um, they're discovering things they didn't know about. And so we said, you know what? This is interesting. There's something here. Let's actually like pursue this. So we put a front end on it and, and continued uh, sharing with people and, and getting positive feedback. And then it sort of just took off. I don't want to say it took off and started getting thousands of users, sure, but sure. people were actually telling other people about it. And we were getting you know, 30, 40, 50 signups a day. Very cool. And so uh, we said, okay, like, let's, let's put some time into this and see where it goes. So the next thing we did was we added a button um, to cancel subscriptions. So instead of just showing you what you had, if you wanted to get rid of something, it could do that for you also. And that, um, that was a pretty popular feature. And from there, we, uh, we submitted to Product Hunt, and immediately we were not just the top hunted app of the day or the week or the month. I think we were number three for the entire year. Very cool. So we, got, um, we went from having a few hundred signups to five, 6,000 signups like, basically overnight. So and that's when there was sort of this like, oh, crap moment. Like, we actually have to like, do something with this now. Yeah, 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 yeah. Can't leave it alone anymore. Exactly. So how, how is the power of Product Hunt? I mean, what did you see there? Product Hunt is a great platform to, to get your product out there. Um, obviously, there's, there's sort of techniques to getting the most exposure from it. Um, and a big piece of that is just getting the right person to actually be the person that hunts it. But um, yeah, for us, a part of building our business was we needed a critical mass of users to have enough data to actually iterate on the algorithm and things. And so going from 30 signups a day before and, and you know, 300 total users before Product Hunt to after Product Hunt, I think we were getting, after the, after the bump, we were getting you know, 200 users a day and we had 5,000. It was transformative. Very cool. So when was this? When did you actually found the company? We did it right at the start of uh, 2016. Cool. And so can you share some metrics of, of uh, user metrics or things that you're currently seeing on the platform? Yeah, so since then, we've grown quite a bit. We have about uh, 300,000 actively linked users. That's users who maintain um, banking connections with our, with our platform. Um, I don't want to say what our revenue is, but it's, it's very healthy and growing really quickly. We're about 25 full-time employees in, in between San Francisco and Washington, D.C. Amazing. Amazing. And New York. I mean, you're coming and going all the time. And yeah, myself and our VP marketing are also spending a lot of time in New York. Very cool. So now, I mean, you have an app, you have a, a healthy bunch of users, and it's, it's time to monetize. Um, we, we've, spoken, we've spoken about this before, and you've had uh, a few big iterations on, on this front. But uh, I would like to start with sort of the first monetization technique you used. Uh, what was the rationale behind it? Um, and how did it actually perform? Right. So when we launched, um, we didn't monetize for the first few months. We said, let's just, let's just grow. Um, but eventually, we, or rather pretty quickly, we decided we, we need to start, start generating revenue. And I looked at companies like Mint or Credit Karma and said, okay, you know what? They're free. We're going to be free for users. And we will monetize in a similar way by recommending products. Um, you and I talked about this the other day, and I said that was actually a big, a big mistake. Um, and I'd heard the feedback before, like, start charging for your product from day one. And I thought, oh, you know, like, that's just for people who don't know how to raise money or, or that's for, like, I'm too good for that. Sure, <laughs> um, sure. Which uh, was, you know, there's a lot of sort of wrong thoughts that, that guided that decision. But either way, so initially we launched with a few affiliate partners, and we tried a few things. We tried um, recommending financial services. So we got a, a credit card partner to recommend credit cards to users. We got an insurance partner. We got, like, a student loan refinancing partner. 
And then we also tried um, selling subscriptions. So for instance, um, we'd look at people who have a subscription to Dollar Shave Club, and we say, hey, you're getting your shaving razors on a subscription. Why don't you also try this toothbrush subscription? That didn't work at all. <laughs> <laughs> we found out very quickly people didn't want to buy stuff sure. or be told to buy stuff through Especially our app. Especially on an app that is trying to save yeah. money. I mean, you know, you could make the case like Dollar Shave Club does save me money over buying sure. Gillette and the toothbrush is the same deal. But um, yeah, it just wasn't what people were using your app for. And then the affiliate stuff, um, you know, it, it was driving um, a few single digit thousand dollars per month, right? Like five thousand, six thousand, seven thousand dollars per month. It was... It was certainly not scaling. Um, what was the, the user base then, just to put things in context? Probably about 30,000 total users. But we didn't, we didn't start charging until we had over 100,000. Sure. So, so um, this would be 30 to 100,000 sure, users. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Very cool. So you started that. What was the aha moment where you said, we, we need to start taking money for this uh, amazing product? Well, the first thing we did was... Um, we realized that, uh, well, firstly, <laughs> the aha moment was it wasn't working, <laughs> was one of them. So the first thing we did was we said, okay, there's some users who are just going to like, not engage in the project the way we want. They're just going to use this to cancel scrip- a subscription, and they want nothing else to do with us. So let's start charging for that. And so we put a little, um, also because, because they were a, a big cost center to us. Right? Um, there, there's a cost behind canceling these subscriptions. Sometimes we have to generate a letter that goes out and you're paying for postage, or sometimes we're even canceling via a certified letter, and then you're paying for a lot of postage. Uh, so we put just a, a paywall on that. It was a one-time charge. And um, I think first we, we started charging $5 for it, and then it was 7 and then we took it to 9 and it actually it didn't impact conversion that much. Um, and so... That's a, that's a very good lesson, by the way. I mean... Charging more doesn't mean conversion rate is going to go lower. So that's, uh, that's lesson number one, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we still didn't sort of see the full potential there. We thought, okay, this is just a one-time thing, and, and that's it. Um, and then we spent, we spent a, a good amount more time banging our heads against the wall before we sort of almost out of desperation said, okay, we really need to start making more money here, and like, how can we extract money from our users by providing a service that's, that's of value to them? Okay, very cool. So just, just thinking about the cancellation um, service, I mean, do you see that people are coming back to cancel services with you guys, or is that a one-time thing? Is it something the business can actually live on, a part of it not being the financially optimal on your side? No. So to be clear, basically, we only provide, do that, do that pay for the cancellation thing for users who don't even want to give us their, their banking information. So the flow there is a user will, will say, hey, sign up for Truebill, or if you just want this thing canceled, pay $9 and we'll cancel it for sure. you. And so we're kind of getting the people who would never even sign up for Truebill anyway, which, which kind of shows that we were still scared of charging our actual users, sure. right? And this was a way to capture revenue from people who would not sign up. So at that time, you had the fee for the cancellation, and you had still had some affiliate yeah. uh, deals in place. What happened then? So... We said, okay, people don't want to buy stuff from us. It seems like they don't want to get a credit card from us, or some do, but there's not a ton of interest there. Uh, how are people actually using Truebill, and what do they want from Truebill? And we surveyed our users and, and talked to them and really dug into it, and the overwhelming answer was people wanted Truebill to save them money. 
So we said, okay, if that is the value, that's the reason people are using the app, how can we deliver more of that and extract revenue from that? And so we started identifying ways that we could save users money. And then we put a really simple model behind it where we said, we'll just take 40% of what we save you. So the first way we did that was with bank fees. Um, every year there's something around 34, or last release there was about $34 billion in overdraft fees charged by banks and another couple billion dollars in late fees. Um, so we said, let's go after that. And so we started contacting banks on behalf of users when they got a late fee to get it refunded. And it wasn't successful 100% of the time, but for some banks, we, we got to like over 80% success rate on getting overdraft fees refunded. And uh, we just, and that's typically a $40 fee and 40% of that is $16. And so we started doing that. Um, and it was great because it was passive, meaning like a user could have multiple overdrafts in, in per year. Uh, so it was, it was kind of recurring. And it was the first time we stumbled onto monetizing directly what the users like wanted from us in a way that, um, that they felt good about. How much automation were you able to put on that process as opposed to the other processes where you said it was sending? It's totally automated, email? actually. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So that was that, was that saving people money. Mm -hmm. um, well, we dug further into that, and so we started looking at things like um, cable bills and uh, phone bills and satellite radio, and basically realized there's just a lot of people that are on legacy plans or that are being overbilled. And we actually have quite a bit of data to identify when that's happening, right? If if all you have is your own phone bill, you don't know what it should look like. Um, but if all of a sudden you have tens of thousands of people's phone bills and you can say, okay, like Yaya and Nadav both live in New York, both have Verizon, both have 10 gigs, but Yaya is paying $80 and Nadav is paying you know, $120. And oftentimes the Delta is that big. Something's going on here. So what can we do to get Nadav down to that more competitive rate? Interesting. So and, and again, once once you do that, the user is happy and you're able to extract revenue. Very interesting. So just going back to to better understand the demographics, can you, you, you were talking about legacy plans, so just to understand how old are the people using the platform, who are they, what kind of demographics are they typically in? Yeah, we're actually pretty broadly ranged. Um, so about 55% uh, of our users are over 35, which means 45% are under 35. Um, and within those, it's, it's split pretty evenly. Okay, and so you had the affiliation, you started saving people, uh, saving money for people, and then you basically got the courage to sort of start, start running the in-app purchases. Running the, the premium subscription yeah. model. Yeah. Um, so we started looking, we said, okay, this is interesting. People will actually, we can monetize our users directly and provide services for them that they will pay for. Um, and that's going to be the future of the business because at the time that we started Prior to us us launching our premium subscription model, I think that month we did about forty thousand in revenue, and about thirty thousand was from um, directly billing the users, and ten thousand was from affiliate. And we'd spent by this point, you know, a year and a half banging our heads against the affiliate wall. So um, we said, okay, you know what? Like our true north is going to be monetizing from the users, not from third parties. Which means that um, if this business is going to be successful and and really scale into a large company. That's where we need to, to triple down. And we need to be de dedicated to building a product that people are willing to pay for. Um, so we launched Premium. And we had really low expectations. But um, we said, you know, maybe some people will pay for it. And over time, we'll, we'll make a better product and more people will pay for it. 
Um, so we launched it at the time. It was it was just a simple three dollars a month, and that was that was really it. There was there was like really minimal. There was even minimal functionality built into it. Um, it was not worth purchasing premium for. So what what but, would they get once purchasing the premium account? <laughs> they got uh, so Truebill refreshes your account balance daily. Um, with premium, you could refresh it in real time, uh, which I guess that could be valuable. I don't think it's worth. $3 a month as a standalone. Um, they got a little premium badge on their on their app. That's um, always nice. <laughs> yeah. <it> just, <laughs> um, and then... Uh, I mean, all the big guys are doing that. And they got us to stop asking them to buy premium. Um, I'd know what that's worth. But uh, yeah, I was shocked. It, the number of people who actually bought it was a, was a multiple of what we had expected. And so that was a, that was a big wake-up call. And actually, you know, I don't want to admit this, but at the time we were running out of money. And uh, that that early conversion data was what enabled us to to get just a small amount of additional funding that sort of kept the lights on while we proved it out. So um, from there we said, okay, premium is is really interesting. Let's let's put all all our attention on this. So we did a few things simultaneously. We said, okay, what are additional features that people want from us that we could bundle into premium to make it more compelling? Also, how can we better expose it within the app to, to increase conversion? And then also what tests can we do around things like price point and, and the funnel and other stuff? And you did a few changes based on that. I mean, you did, so the premium started as the fixed cost, um, and I think now the product has sort of a, a range. Yeah, we went through several iterations on the pricing itself. So I mentioned the it was um, $3 a month, right? So the first thing we did was we, we added multiple um, durations. So instead of buying just one month, we tested making the minimum three months. We tested giving the option between one month, six month, and 12 months. Um, we tested giving the option between three months, six months, 12 months, like basically every permutation you can, you can think of. Um, and at the end of the day, people liked buying one month, but a lot of people liked buying annuals. Um, that was another shock. I thought, you know, annual was $2 a month, so it was $3 a month or $24 for the year. And I thought maybe 5% would buy, would buy annual, and it was much more than that. So uh, that was another big kind of shock for us. Um, the next thing we did was we tested different price points. So we tested like a $3, a $4, a $5. And where we landed there was $5 a month for premium or $4 a month for annual, $48. That was a fixed subscription. Um, and then you had an additional iteration, right? Exactly. So we... We're constantly banging our heads against the wall, thinking, "How do we increase conversion percent?" It was it was pretty healthy, and it was way ahead of anything we ever imagined, but still wanted to do better. So we surveyed our users and asked uh, why they were not purchasing premium. And the piece of feedback, the number one response was that uh, it was too expensive. So we decided to try something that was kind of crazy, but we said, "All right, how about uh, why don't we make it just choose your own price?" So we launched this slider where basically it said, um, you know, pay what you think is fair. And it went from $1 uh, per month to $12 per month with little recommended um, or like most popular circle around the $6. And we were shocked in a lot of ways. Firstly, the, the conversion percentage shot up pretty, pretty dramatically. Secondly, I thought everyone would choose $1. And $1 was the most popular option but uh, a lot of people were choosing six, which was the default. And then we had you know, some, some people out there, God bless them, they're choosing eight or 10 or, or $12. The, the average 
the blended average actually did not go down that far from, from where it was. So we got this huge bump in conversion percentage and it took a relatively small hit on the actual average order value. Trying to understand why would people actually pay the $12, the $8, I mean, did, did you even ask them why they're doing that? Um, we do a lot of user surveying. That is one question I've, I've never asked. Um, I did one time, I was, I was out, I was talking to a uh, venture capitalist investor, and he's like, what do you do? And you know, I said, I started this company called Truebill. And he's like, oh, I use Truebill. I actually pay $12 a month for it. Um, <laughs> which I said, thank you. But that's the, that's the only piece of feedback I got. So I don't know if it's that he's a VC and he has money or if he just wants to support the startup ecosystem. Um, and, you know, I didn't want to rock that boat, so, so I didn't probe deeper. Sure, but that is amazing, knowing that people are willing to pay more than what they could. Uh, I mean, they potentially could pay less, but they either value the product or value the company, value what they're doing, you, you're, you guys are doing for them, um, and that is amazing. Yeah, and then, so, of course, in keeping with the theme of constantly testing everything, even within that choose-your-own-price framework, we tested a ton of stuff. So we tested making the minimum $1 or $2 or $3. We tested making the, um, the suggested or the most popular option, $5 or $6 or $7. And um, firstly, not only did we find how that impacted conversion or how it impacted the distribution of the amounts that people were paying, but um, one, of the, one of the tricky things there is that if, if you're testing a red button versus a blue button or green button, um, you get your feedback instantly, right? But if you're testing monetization, especially on a subscription, then you actually don't get your feedback instantly because what you get is you'll know your conversion rate immediately or within two days. But um, the other big half of it is churn. And it's going to take you two, three months to know how, how churn is impacted, right? So you sort of end up in this really long loop that uh, that takes six months or 12 months where you sort of, you push out an iteration uh, for two weeks, you collect data, and then you wait two months to have enough churn data to make a determination on it, and then you turn on your next test. Sure. So in, in this case, you don't actually have a yearly plan, right? There's no upside for paying a big chunk and, of revenue up front. How is that working? And so that's interesting, right? Because we actually don't yet have a real complete set of data there because um, so the whole the whole incentive to, to get an annual plan was a discount. But if you're choosing your own price, we can't put a discount on an annual plan, right? So we said, okay, let's think about different scenarios. So so our conversion rate went up by X percent. Our um, uh, average uh, subscription value went down by Y percent. And then after 12 months, all the, the annuals we would have gotten would be would be renewing. We're not going to have those. So how is that going to impact, right? And you, you make a series of guesses there and sort of map out the different scenarios within what you think is realistic uh, variance. We are talking about a lot of A-B testing in order to sort of make sense out of so many tests. You have to, big, to be pretty big on data, I guess. I mean, who does that in the company? Is it you? Do you have like a data analyst? Maybe now you do, but you didn't have an initially. Mm -hmm. I mean, who's responsible for that? Yeah, so this was something that we actually invested quite a bit of development resources into because um, for a long time we were doing tests and then I would have to go pull an engineer off of a project and, and get him to slice the data for me to, to get the insights I needed. Um, and when, when you're operating that way, it kind of discourages you from testing 
right? So we decided to bite the bullet and we built a, a pretty robust testing framework where we're not only able to easily deploy tests, and by easily I mean, you know, I, I shout across the room to my brother who's also my CTO sure. and say, hey, you know, can we, can we test this? And from there it goes to the designer and then a few <laughs> hours later it's live. Sure, but also, all in the family. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but also, um, you know, I've got immediately. I have a real-time dashboard, right? That's showing me every metric um, assigned to the different cohorts in that test. And that's not just, let's say, we're testing premium, right? Uh, premium conversion rate, right? That dashboard is telling me not just the conversion rate, but um, how that varies across iOS or Android. It's telling me the churn rates as they as they come in. It's telling me how many of those users then go on to submit a bill for negotiation. It's telling me how many of those users uh, and what percentages engage in smart savings, right? And so having all that data accessible immediately and being able to deploy that test instantly is kind of, I think, a bit of a competitive advantage. And sure. it's, you know, it took an upfront investment, but um, the amount of speed that it gave us in terms of ability to iterate and to experiment has been has been extremely valuable. Amazing. So you were, just to, to tap on the point of Android versus iOS, I mean, what are you seeing there in terms of the quality of users, the services these users uh, use as opposed to others? Sure. So no big surprise here. Android users, uh, to to acquire them is, is less expensive, but um, their, uh, their premium conversion rate is slightly lower. Their churn is more than slightly higher. Um, but you sort of bake that into your economics, right? And do you focus on a specific demographics when doing user acquisition, or do you maybe have you thought of altering uh, the the prices for Android users as they are more price conscious? Well, it's hard to it's hard to modify the price when it's choose your own price. Sure, sure. <laughs> right. Maybe have a, a lower minimum, I guess. Yeah, potentially. Um, the problem there, so so all the things you're saying are are. They sound simple, but they're pretty complex, right? Because you lower the price. So one of the, one of the big insights we saw is that um, I mentioned, oh, or maybe I did mention, we, we asked our users why they're canceling their premium subscriptions. And the number one piece of feedback we got was that uh, it was too expensive. But then when you dig into the data and you see that, so we have users paying any, anything in between $1 a month and $12 a month. The amount they're paying does actually actually has no correlation to their likelihood to churn, right? Um, which is another kind of surprising thing for me, especially and would probably be surprising for our users given that they say they cancel it because it's too expensive. Sure. Right? So you say like, oh, have we tried giving a lower minimum price to Android users, right? But the data would suggest that that actually would not make an impact. You now have the the, the premium features perfected. What are the ways you prompt users? to opt into the premium uh, yeah. feature or the premium subscription item. Sure, and, and this has been an evolution. So when we first launched it, we just put a little um, box on the, on the main dashboard in the app that said, get Truebill Premium. Um, as, the, as we've added more functionality that, that gets bundled into premium, we, we increase the, the numbers of ways people can find it. So if you go to cancel subscription, that's a premium service. So you'll see a little pop-up that's like, hey, get premium to have access to this. Or if you want to use some of the more sophisticated functionality in the budgeting section, or if you want to turn on a smart savings account. But overwhelmingly, um, and here's another sort of counterintuitive surprising thing, was um, we added a 
promotion for premium in the onboarding flow. So the way a user gets into our app is they download it, then they click sign up, and there's a few steps for onboarding. They create a username and password, of course, and then our app works by analyzing your transactional data and, and finding problems that it can fix. So we ask the user to connect their financial institutions, um, their banks, their credit cards. And then after that, the user would be taken straight into the dashboard to see all the utility of the app and to see their numbers and their finances. We added uh, a final screen into the end of the onboarding flow that said, hey, get Truebill Premium which intuitively makes no sense because the user hasn't seen the inside of the app yet. Why would they buy a premium subscription? We put bullet points like with premium you get X, Y, and Z. Sure. But if it was me, I'd say, well, let me see if I actually like the app before paying for it. Um, so we put that in there and all of a sudden the majority of our premium signups were coming from onboarding before people actually engaged with any of the functionality. Who the are app. those users? It's, it's the majority of our premium users. <laughs> Um, so that's, a, that's another example of um, sort of your intuition being misleading, right? Um, and, and more support for that notion of just test everything. Like, sure. Like develop a way to test quickly and then just do it. That is amazing. The main reason I'm super excited about this episode today, the topic monetization, but especially speaking, speaking with you, is sort of... Most of the things we're talking about are super counterintuitive. And this is the idea of, of this podcast, podcast to, start, to start with is sort of to help those entrepreneurs out there building their, their products, building their fintech products um, succeed in the end. And this is sort of to say, even if 10 people in the room think something isn't going to work, either test or just listen to our podcast and understand what you can, what you can actually do um, without even testing or the extent to where you can go in, in that sense. And, and, and that is super exciting. Um, so you, you mentioned you had sort of within the product, you, had the on, you prompted users to go premium on the onboard, in the onboarding process um, and sort of when trying to use actual premium features, right? Correct, right. Okay, so when they're, they're trying to use sort of a premium feature, it's sort of behind the behind the paywall. Try to use it, and then and then and then basically opt in into the premium. Exactly. Here's a here's a just an interesting thing to consider. So, I mentioned we launched it. It was three dollars a month, um, and you would see that on the dashboard. So from from version one of like premium funnel to now, we've six x our conversion rate. So I'm not talking about like a ten percent bump here and a a five percent bump there. This is a six hundred percent increase. Amazing. That is really amazing. Mm -hmm. But that brings me to, to the next point, and, and that is the users who don't convert to premium. I mean, they're obviously the vast majority of, of any app. Not well, any you app. say vast. Okay, but. okay. You're, you're, you're doing an amazing job, but uh, yeah. they're a big chunk. Yeah, we'll call them a big they're chunk. They're the majority. Sure, right. sure, sure. Um, what are you doing with those guys? So... Um, it's, it's funny, right, because um, we talked about this the other day, and I said the biggest mistake I made with Truebill of the, of the dozens and dozens that I made was not charging users sooner, either, either from day one or, or shortly thereafter, right? And, and that was a mistake for a couple of reasons. One was that um, I missed out on a lot of revenue. That, that doesn't keep me up at night. But two was that without charging users, we didn't have a 
a true compass for how to develop the product in the right direction to go in, right? Um, and part of not charging was just was just ego. I thought, you know, Instagram can and WhatsApp can be billion dollar companies without charging. That's who I want to be, so that's how I'm going to do it. Sure. And um, turns out we're not Instagram <laughs> or WhatsApp. Um, but uh, no. So so the question is, how are you monetizing right. those? So, users? Well, so so what that did was um, because we didn't start charging until later, we actually had two revenue channels prior to launching premium. So for the users who don't go premium, um, we have two ways of monetizing them. One is with the percentage of savings that we, we take when we save the money, like from a bill negotiation or a service outage or a bank fee refund. And the other is from um, affiliate stuff where we recommend a credit card or a better rate on car insurance or, or some other ways to save money. Um, with the affiliate stuff, we, we've done a good job of being really disciplined in terms of only recommending things that actually make sense for the user. So for instance, um, I have Credit Karma on my phone, and every time I log in, it says, hey, you'll qualify for this credit card. Click here to apply. And there's no actual logic behind, like, yeah, I will qualify, but should I apply? Sure. Um, so we've, we've been really disciplined about, like, taking the intelligence and the data we have on the user and then actually saying, does this make sense for the user? And if so, putting it forth as a recommendation. Um, so, so yeah, kind of having those three revenue channels between affiliate, um, percentage of savings, and premium makes me feel much more comfortable than if we only had one because it sure. means it's sort of less disruptable. And sort of monetizing the users that are not willing to pay up front or sort of to get, to get a non-direct uh, non revenue from exactly. that. Exactly. It, it, it's really transformative to our um, unit economics, right? Because... You're out there and you're advertising, you're buying users, right? And let's say a user costs you, I'm just going to make up numbers here, right? But a user costs you $5 and you're making $4, right? Um, then that's prohibitive. You can't really spend money on marketing and you're not that far off. Even if you're, uh, you're making $4.50, you're not that far off, right? And getting that extra dollar of monetization out of a premium subscription, like when you're already $4 there is, is really tough, right? But all of a sudden you have this huge pool of like, let's say like 80% users that are not, uh, directly monetizing, not signing up for premium, right? So if from those 80%, you can start making an extra 50 cents each from them through through some other creative channel, then all of a sudden your user acquisition is breaking even. And instead of you know spending $10,000 a month just to sort of probe and see what's going on, you can actually spend a million dollars a month because you're getting a million back, sure. right? And so it's, it's like those last few yards that are the toughest, but that are also the more, most transformative. And... Um, you know, being able to sort of diversify and think creatively about how to juice that that little extra bit ends up ends up making a big impact. You also spoke about uh, using newsletters, sending newsletters to uh, to users who did not convert. How is right. that going? I know so, it's a pretty new test. Yeah. So um, so the way our business works is uh, people come, they install the app. Now, half of those people just never link their bank account. Period. Right. Which means they never engage with the app beyond like. Giving a, creating username and password, and then walking away. So um, just sort of recently, we started looking at ways to monetize them, right? Um, be that uh, sending them content, or in some cases, we can still even send them push notification, which we don't, but um, sending them content. Uh, and obviously, within that content, we can, we can promote our own services, which brings some of them back. But we can also sort of promote our partners. And now we're talking about a huge pool of users, right? That's hundreds of thousands of users that we can never monetize within the app, 
but that we can through email or some other channel. And you have seen sort of moderate success with, with the initial tests. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, so first of all, this has been uh, super interesting. I try to sort of ask the questions I'm interested. Hopefully, other people are asking, asking the same questions. Uh, monetization is obviously core for probably a vast majority of the apps out there. Uh, so I think this, this episode is definitely relevant to all app developers out there, uh, specifically fintechs. Maybe as, as my last question, I mean, what is your tip? It could be monetization tip or others to uh, fintech founders, app founders out there going out with a new product. Give us a few tips. Yeah, I alluded to this earlier. Um, the biggest one by far is start charging from day one. Um, build something and, and see how many people are willing to pay for it and why they're willing to pay for it. And then let that be your compass in terms of where you put your energy in terms of uh, what you continue developing or what new features you add. So it's not even the money. It's just making something that is has the value that people are willing to pay for. It's like Y Combinator says on their shirts and everywhere else, make something people want. Sure. Right? And you can fool yourself into thinking, well, people are using it, therefore they want it, or people are signing up. But like the real barometer is, are they willing to pay for it? Amazing. Thank you very much for your time, Yaya. Thank you. This is great. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Feel free to share the podcast with friends on Twitter and tag a guest you would like to hear in a future episode.